All right, if you would please open in the Bible to page 812, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. You can also find it on page 8 in the bulletin, or you might have your handy-dandy smartphone edition, but it would be helpful if you have it open in front of you, because the most important thing I can tell you is this, this isn't a message from Bill Lovell, this is a message from uh, God himself, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who brings words to us, and, and I'd love it if you would follow along in the Bible as we make our way through this passage. Uh, please stand. This is a reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 11. Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. God. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you very much for this chance to be together and to open our Bibles to receive this word from you. We pray now that your spirit would accompany your word, that the same spirit that moved Matthew to record these words would also be active in us, prying open our cold, resistant hearts, that we might hear your word, Father, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Praying to the Father. That's the name of this morning's sermon, uh, Praying to the Fathers. Matthew records it. Uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount has quite a bit to say about prayer. Um, the Greek word is prasukeste, uh, and uh, it shows up several times in the sermon. Matthew chapter 5, if you look across the page, on the page over, uh, verses 44 to 45 at the Towards the beginning of the sermon, Jesus actually tells his disciples, pray for your enemies so that you may be sons of your father. He makes a connection between prayer and praying for our enemies specifically and our relationship to God as father. Um, if you look across the page again to Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 to 8. Uh, the Lord is setting the stage again, and he says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, very instructive teaching from Jesus about the intimacy of prayer. He's not giving us some rigid rule that means we can't pay, pray in public. He himself prayed in public. Uh, there are many references to Christians praying in public. That's not the point. The point is the intimacy and the, the, the authenticity, not pretending, not play acting, but to actually 
um, pray uh, in a way that is heard consciously uh, and is consciously intended to be heard by our Father. And then, of course, Matthew chapter uh, 6, beginning at verse 9, where Jesus gives us the most famous prayer ever uttered, a prayer we've already prayed this morning. Uh, I love the fact, John, you said, let us pray this prayer. Uh, it is something we repeat. It's perfectly wonderful thing to memorize. If you're going to memorize some Bible passage, this is a great passage to memorize. But it's a prayer. It's, it's not simply something uh, that's beautiful or meaningful. It's actually a prayer. And uh, I'm very glad that we prayed that prayer this morning. So already in the book of Matthew, already in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus over and over again, has been talking about prayer. And what he has to say uh, is all very, very meaningful. And I want to suggest to you there's a thread that ties it all together. And he's teaching about that thread here in the passage we're going to look at this morning. If you look again on page 812, chapter 7, verse 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says in verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you ask seek find uh, sorry ask seek knock ask uh, that's a good little acronym to remember ask ask seek knock uh, and jesus actually tells his disciples and through them he tells us that you and i should be people who ask seek and knock it's worth noting that these are commandments we're actually commanded to talk to our Father, to, to bring to our Father our requests, uh, to bring them confidently, to bring them as an aspect of our discipleship. We are commanded to pray. Uh, and that's, that's definitely worth noting. It's also worth noting, again, this, this is handy, uh, picking up a little bit of Greek here and there. Ask, seek, and knock are in the present tense. And in Greek, that means it's, it's ask and keep on asking. Uh, seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. There's this picture of perseverance. Later on, Jesus is going to talk about persevering prayer. And he's, I think, hinting at that here, that, that the praying he's commanding us is, is not a, so, sort of a liturgical action that we can check off on our list. Uh, therefore, we've done it. Uh, it's, it's actually meant to be a characteristic activity of the disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are to be people who ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, that that should characterize our life. And I am so grateful to see here at Metrocrest more and more of that spirit of ongoing, persistent, persevering prayer, ask, seek, knock. Uh, and it's important to note that Jesus is writing this to the poor as well as to the well-off. He's writing this to the disconnected as well as to the people who are well-connected. He's writing to all of us. He's, he's writing to people, he's already told us, who are back in chapter 5, verse 12, uh, in the midst of persecution. Even in the midst of suffering, our life is meant to be, according to Jesus, characterized by this ongoing attitude of prayerfulness. 
So, ask, seek, knock. Let's, let's think about these for a moment. He uses those, that same set of words twice. He must be making a point, don't you think? Uh, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, same verbs. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is here teaching us something very important in these, these three ideas, ask, ask, seek, knock, in some way sort of sum up this, this ongoing attitude of prayerfulness that we are meant to have. Ask, seek, knock. Now some people when they read this passage, and I've read some brilliant sermons and some wonderful commentaries, which basically treat ask, seek, knock as saying, pray, pray, pray. And there's nothing wrong with saying, pray, pray, pray. There is a dimension of prayerfulness in all of these. But it is interesting, isn't it, that he uses these three different words to describe this one thing we call prayer. And if you will, let's think through what is he pointing towards? And, and what does he mean in terms of how we live our Christian life and how do we pray? Uh, as we think about these three verbs that Jesus twice emphasized as he taught on prayer. First, ask. Ask. Jesus tells his disciples, first thing, to ask. One of my uh, dear friends preached a sermon on this passage in London, England. The McAnally's are going to be away in London before too long, and this friend of mine was preaching this exact same passage, and he made the point, and I, I think this is definitely worth keeping in mind, that what Jesus was talking about here is primarily in terms of spiritual life and a spiritual connection with Jesus. That Jesus is not saying to us that, that God is like some genie, right? Uh, that we, we have a, a list of uh, three wishes, and the third one is always give me more wishes, right? That's, that's, that's one way of thinking of prayerfulness. It's it's God as genie, God as overindulgent father, God as uh, Santa Claus, uh, where we just sort of bring our wish list to God. And uh, that's, you know, according to some health wealth gospel teachers, what Jesus is saying here, that you can just bring him in whatever you want. You want a bigger, fancier car? God's going to give you a bigger, fancier car. You want a bigger, better job? God's going to give you a bigger, better job. Whatever you want, bring it to God. Have enough faith, and he'll give it to you. My friend made the point that what Jesus is describing here is a lot more meaningful and deep and significant than simply a wish list of things. And I, I do think that's important to keep in mind that Jesus is not saying that God's going to give us all of our individual wishes. All right. If we read the passage that way, among other things, we're going to be really disappointed. So Jesus is not promising that. So what, what is he saying? Well, uh, I might have a slight disagreement with my friend in, in saying this. I think Jesus uses this very broad word, ask, intentionally. Now, bear in mind, he's already been teaching about praying. He's already been saying about prayerfulness. So if you look, he tells us to pray for our enemies. That, that's, a, that's a thing that we wouldn't probably do if he didn't tell us to do it. But then he also goes on to say over in uh, chapter 6, verse 11, 
to pray for our daily bread. That's a thing, right? Uh, so, you know, he, he seems to be including in the Sermon on the Mount within the idea of prayer, not only praying for our enemies and spiritual realities, those are important and true, but he also teaches us to pray for our bread every day have a daily dependency on the Lord and to, to share that prayer uh, to our Father. Uh, he, he talks in this very section about gifts. He talks about uh, asking for bread again it's in chapter 7, verse 9. It's significant, I think, that he talks about giving bread, just having taught us that we ask God for our bread. Uh, he also talks about fish, and fish uh, was a staple of the diet in his part of the world in his day. And so again, he brings this idea of, of food, the, the nourishment that we need. Uh, it seems as though Jesus is talking about more than simply spiritual things. He's talking about everything, our, our daily sustenance. And then almost to add an exclamation point in uh, verse 11, if you look at the very last sentence of verse 11, he says, your father who is in heaven gives good things, right? So, while I do believe it's of primary importance that we pray for the spiritual needs of ourselves, our families, our church, our world, absolutely, I agree with that exclamation point. But it's also appropriate, and let me su suggest it is extremely important that we ask God for the things of this life. He's already said that God knows what we need before we ask him, but we're taught in prayer to turn to God and to ask for things. Now, I think that's an extremely important element of prayer. You know, it's, it's, it's probably one of the first things we teach our children, isn't it? Uh, we teach them to ask for their food. We teach them to say thank you for their food. We, if they're having a test or some, some activity, a sport or something, we teach them it's, it's right to ask God for his blessing and his mercy. I think in a way that's a, that's a little bit like the, the, the training wheels of prayer will often begin with, with just things. It will often begin with food with our daily sustenance. And I've, I've been walking with the Lord a while now. I'm about to turn 65. And I can tell you, I still want to cultivate that attitude of conscious dependency on God for everything my family and I need. And I don't think that's immaturity. I don't think that's inappropriate. I don't think that's being health and wealth. We're just taught that we ask God for the things that are important to us. And so ask, uh, that's where prayer begins, supplication. Uh, you may have heard of the acronym ACTS. We use that model of prayer in our prayer meetings, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Well, ask is another way of talking about supplication. So there's always adoration, there's always confession, there's always, always thanksgiving. And then we turn to this idea of supplication, and that's what it is to, to ask, to to reach out to the Lord and ask him for the things that, that, that are needed. So ask. But then he talks about seek. Now, rather than, than this simply being a synonym for ask, I want to suggest it has a, 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 a subtle difference and an important difference. 
when we ask for God, when we ask God for something, the seeking part, I believe, and this is a dimension of maturity, we learn to start seeking how he's going to answer that prayer. I've experienced this many times in my own life. I, I'm, I'm, I'm asking for something, and what do you do while you're waiting? You continue to pray, of course, but what I found in my own life is I start seeking. Lord, how are you going to answer this prayer? How are you going to do it? What ways will you use? Let me tell you, we've been spending a lot of time asking God for his provision of our church budget. You just heard Paul pray for it again this morning. Uh, We've been asking for God to provide for us. And I'll tell you in my own heart and mind as I've processed that, it's led me to, to seek, okay, Father, how are you going to do it? He can do it any way he wants to. And I've learned to be okay with that. But how are you going to do it? And how can I be a part of that? And how, what can the church do in faithfulness to, to position ourselves in a way that those things that you're doing will bear the most fruit? And how can we be involved in that? And I, I see seeking as a dimension of prayer which, which actually pulls us into the middle of the prayer. We're... we're we're seeking the things that we've asked for. And in my own life, my family's life, as I say, I've learned many times that that's what you do. If you remember in the book of Acts, you remember they were, they were praying that the Lord would, would allow them to take the gospel into um, the, to a new province. Do you remember this? Shows up in uh, Acts 11. Uh, and they pray, pray, pray. And, and Luke, who's recording what the little mission team around Paul was doing, they said the Holy Spirit kept closing doors, right? Well, let me tell you, you don't have to pray for very long before you experience a closed door. And I think that seeking is, is where you start spotting the Closed doors, they may be permanently closed, they may be temporarily closed, but you begin to learn about the the closed doors. And you begin to recognize doors of opportunity. You realize, oh, I think that's how he's going to answer the prayer. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, but we, we, we seek what we ask for. We look for how God is at work in circumstances, in the world, in our lives, in our hearts, in our church. We look for those opportunities. And I think that's a, that's a part of this life of prayerfulness. It's an active life. It's not a passive life. We, we have a, the, the privilege of, of seeking the ways God might be answering it. And then finally, he uses this word knock. Again, twice, knock. If you knock, he says, it, it will be opened. And this idea of knocking you know, you, you ask for something, you seek the opportunities, and then again, there's this dimension of knocking on the door. Uh, you remember the story that Jesus tells the persistent widow, uh, and she goes and she bangs and bangs and bangs on the door. And Jesus says uh, the door was opened to her because she was so persistent, because she kept knocking. And I think there's a hint of that here, that that there's, 
the, the asking, the taking our requests to the Lord. There's the seeking after Him. What is He going to do? How is He blessing us? And then there's this attitude of, of knocking, this of, of actively imploring the Lord to perhaps work in this way that we've sensed He might work. And I think all of this summed up together describes this life of prayerfulness, this active, engaged life that is part of the prayerfulness Jesus is telling his disciples to have. Ask, seek, knock. It's interesting in uh, the Bible study this morning uh, on Job, I've noticed this over and over again. Uh, It's a brilliant Bible study. Uh, Even if you haven't been before, go along next week. It's uh, really brilliant. And, And this morning we were actually talking about seeking wisdom because ask, seek, knock over time demands wisdom and actually cultivates wisdom. As we ask, and and, you know, our prayers, especially when we're just starting out in our prayerfulness, they they might be knucklehead prayers. (laughs) I've prayed a lot of knucklehead prayers. And over time, I've just learned, okay, that's probably not what he's going to do. What's more, the Bible shows me the kinds of things he does. And I, over time, gradually, painfully, slowly, I've learned the, the kinds of things that typify the Christian life, the kinds of things that God does want us to do and will bless if we ask him to, including caring for our others who don't know the Lord, those spiritual needs. Um, I've learned the wisdom of Uh, going along in my prayers with that underlying attitude. And as as we discussed this morning in the Bible study, wisdom by itself, wisdom full stop, is is not actually very helpful. Wisdom by itself. Because as Job learned, as, as we learn in the Christian life, and as Jesus tells us, the center of prayer is not prayer itself. The center of prayer is the person to whom we are praying. That is the center of Christian prayer. It's it's not the activity itself. It's, It's not learning the kinds of things to pray for. That's helpful. That's wisdom. But true wisdom will always draw us to the center of prayer. Who it turns out is a person. The center of prayer is a person. Prayer is not transactional. (laughs) We can begin to think of prayer as something that's transactional. I think a lot that's a lot behind a lot of the health wealth way of thinking. You you put your prayer in, out comes the answered prayer, and it's wonderful. It's just it doesn't require anything more than putting something in the slot. No, the center of prayer is not transactional. The center of prayer is relational. And the the person that Jesus tells us to relate to, the person to whom we are to pray, the person at the center of the whole Sermon on the Mount, the person to whom Jesus points again and again and again is the Father. See, Ask, seek, knock, 
trust. Ask, seek, knock, trust. That's what he says in uh, uh, verse uh, 5. No, sorry, verse, uh, verse 9. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? The center of Christian prayer is relational. It's the person to whom we are praying that makes all the difference. It's what takes Christian prayer out of the genie, Santa Claus, overindulgent father category of things. Because the person to whom we pray actually loves us and knows us. And we can trust him with our prayers. In fact, I think one of the reasons Jesus, Jesus puts it the way he does, and this, this may sound strange to say, I believe God will answer every single pray, every single prayer you pray. He will answer every single prayer you pray. And he will give you every single thing you pray for or something better, Right? He will either give you what you exactly what you pray for or he will give you something infinitely sometimes better. You may not know it. It may take you a while to realize it. But if you ask, if you ask, it will be given to you. And if you seek, you will find. And if you knock, it will be open to you. Either exactly the way you've asked or in a way that is infinitely better. You know, I think in, in heaven, uh, we'll spend a lot of time uh, praising God for the things we ask for that uh, he gave us. And I think we'll probably, in eternity, spend, uh, I guess you can't have a percentage of eternity, but we'll even spend more time in eternity thanking him for the things he didn't give us that we asked for. From the perspective of eternity, we'll be able perhaps to see reasons why he didn't give me the thing I thought I most needed at age 5 or 6 or 10 or 64. I'll look back and I'll, I'll be filled with praise that God didn't give me that thing, but gave me something infinitely more wonderful. So I'll be, we'll be spending time thanking God for giving us the things we've asked for. We'll spend time praising God for not giving us some of the things we prayed for. And you know what? I think we'll probably spend more time than anything else in eternity thanking God for giving us the things we didn't even think to ask for. You know, if you think about it, God lavishes blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon blessing every single moment, every single day. Every beat of your heart, every breath you take is usually an answered, unprayed prayer. God just lavishing 
good gifts on his people. It's a beautiful day outside. That's his blessing. That's a thing that he gives us. The, The privilege of partnering in ministry and mission, that's a gift he gives us. And we haven't had the brains or the spiritual discernment to pray for a tenth of it, a hundredth of it. He just pours out blessings. And the wonderful thing is, he works through good things, he works through bad things, he works through indifferent things. He's working in all of these ways to bless us, provide for us, because he loves his children. You know, I'm a happy grandfather, got uh, six grandkids. Uh, my next youngest is uh, named Mary Jane. She is uh, on a trip with her parents this morning and with her siblings. And uh, we just uh, love our little Mary Jane. She is a delight. and We love her. And if little Mary Jane, and she's learned to speak and make herself very plain sometimes. And if Mary Jane asked me for something that she wanted, I may or not may or may not be able to get her exactly what she wants. She asked for some pretty, pretty crazy things, our Mary Jane. Uh, I may or may not be able to get her what she wanted, what she asked me for. But Leslie and I would knock ourselves silly to get her more than she asked for because we love her. And if Leslie and I, who are sinners, know that, How much more does our all-knowing, all-loving Heavenly Father, who knows us, who knows the whole story from start to finish, how much more can we trust our Heavenly Father? So Jesus says, if if your son asks for a fish, uh, if your son asks for a bread, who will give him a stone? Nobody. No no parent would do that. If if your son asks for a fish, who will give him a serpent, something that would hurt him nobody would do that what if your son asked for a serpent you might have to say no you can't have a serpent that's what a loving father does Um, there's a quote i've mentioned several times it's printed on the sermon outline dr packer uh, jr packer uh, said uh, these words in knowing god one of the best chapters in the book, uh, Knowing God, he had this quote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father, truly his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. And I I agree with J.I. Packer. There's a story I want to tell you, and I'll wrap up with this story because I I think it illustrates what Jesus is teaching us here. Uh, Dr. Packer, Jim Packer, J.I. Packer is one of my heroes. Leslie and I were privileged to get to know him personally. He worked at the church where I worked uh, a few years ago, and uh, we got to know him very well, and on a personal basis, we'd have meals with him. He'd come over to our house, and that relationship continued when we moved to Dallas. He came and visited us numerous times. Um, well, um, <laughs> uh, Dr. Packer's uh, 97th birthday was this past week. 
He's, he's with Jesus now. But if he were still here, it would be his 97th birthday. It was July 7th, uh, sorry, it was uh, July uh, 20, um, July 17th was his, uh, was his birthday. No, sorry, that's the day he died. July 17th is the day he died. Uh, his birthday was um, July 22nd, is that right? Yeah, yesterday. Uh, yesterday was Dr. Packer's birthday, same as my friend John Fowler, who's ducking over there. Uh, you guys share a birthday. Yesterday was Dr. Packer's birthday. Uh, well, uh, if you saw pictures of him, you know he, has a, he had a big um, dent in his forehead, quite noticeable, because he had a receding hairline and he had a very big dent in his forehead. It was a scar as big as a baseball, maybe. Quite noticeable. He went through his entire life with this. And uh, I want to just uh, let you know that he got that at, at age uh, seven years old, September 1933. He had a violent collision with a truck. Uh, a bread van hit him as a little boy. And the result was damage to the frontal lobe of his brain with a chunk of his skull missing. His whole life lived to be... Uh, quite an elderly man, and uh, he had this his whole life. He had a three-week stay in the hospital, followed by six months of recuperation away from school. From that time until he went off to Oxford University, where he studied, he had to wear a protective aluminum plate over his injury uh, and to abstain from all sports, and he was already a loner. He was uh, a bit shy, and uh, rather than some of the other activities he might have ordinarily liked to pursue, he sort of withdrew into solitary activities like reading and writing and things like that. That became very important to him as a young man, and he continued through his whole life. And Alistair McGrath writes these words about Dr. Packer. Uh, this is a story that Dr. Packer often told. He says, uh, every schoolboy of the period longed for the day when he would own a bicycle of his own. This was in the 30s, and that was the height of coolness. Every kid wanted a bicycle. And so um, usually around the age of 11, at the point when a schoolboy would enter senior school, parents would mark their son's coming of age by giving him a bicycle as a birthday present. Packer dropped heavy hints to his family that he expected and really wanted to get what all the other boys and all the other children got, a bicycle, like all of his friends. So he went to his parents and he dropped these big hints. However, his parents knew that, he could not yet allow their, that they could not yet allow their son to have a bicycle. If he were to have any kind of accident, the earlier injury could lead to something much more serious and potentially fatal. Well, what could they give their son instead of what he asked for? On the morning of his 11th birthday in 1937, Packer wandered down from his bedroom to see what present awaited him. The family had a tradition of placing birthday presents in the dining room of the house. He expected to find a bicycle. He'd been asking for a bicycle. Instead, he found an old Oliver typewriter, which seemed to him to weigh half a ton. Although it was old, it was nevertheless in excellent condition. Well, it was not what Dr. Packer asked for, but it proved to be what he needed. And the surprise that morning gave way to delight, and he later said that typewriter became his most 
prized possession. And he used that typewriter until he replaced it with another one to type every manuscript, and every sermon, and every book he ever wrote started out on a manual typewriter. First that present he got from his parents, replaced it many times over, over these, never used a computer, always typed out books like Knowing God, which blessed whole generations of people around the world. That bicycle would have been forgotten very quickly. But that typewriter, which he never dreamed to ask for, God used in crazy ways to bless people over decades and decades and decades, pointing people towards knowing God, the Father who is the center of prayer, the center of the Christian life, the one to whom the Son points. It delights Jesus to point to the Father. It delights the Father to point to the Son. It delights the Spirit to point to the Father and to the Son. They delight in one another. And at the center of prayer is this intimate relationship with the God whom we can trust. He's the one we ask. He's the one we seek. He's the one who opens the doors that are truly the way of blessing, though it may not feel like it. That's the one who stands at the center of Christian prayer. And that's why you and I can, we can go to God with all of our prayer requests, everything we think we need. We can go to him and talk to him about any of those things. And we do it in the certain knowledge that the one who hears us, knows us and loves us, and will answer every prayer with exactly what we ask for, or perhaps something infinitely better.